Well, good evening to you. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and I'm just coming back on. I'm trying to conclude a series that we started several um, several months ago, actually, and for various reasons, we've had some delays in that over this uh, pandemic and, and other things. So I want to try to let's get that sort of wrapped up here and finish uh, this lesson because I don't want there to be any further delays. So I'd like to take us in tonight to <clears throat> lesson 20 of the Thy Kingdom Come series. And we only have one more lesson to go. And Lord willing, I'll do that in a few more days. And then we will have this series, this particular series, concluded. I welcome you and uh, all of you treasure hunters from uh, from my normal church, as well as from online or whoever, wherever you may be from. I welcome you and thank you for joining in. Uh, God bless you, and I pray that this whole series is a blessing to you and that each and every lesson God speaks to your heart. So I'd like for us to begin tonight. And tonight in Lesson 20, I want to sort of pick up from the last few lessons we've been talking about what's ahead for the believer and in the future and the things that God has prepared for us. And last lesson we had to, we looked at because it, the truth of the scriptures, whether it's pleasant or not, uh, and it's not, but we had to look at the eternal doom that awaits those who have rejected Jesus Christ and those whose names are not found in the book of life. And so that's why we have, I've tried to stress that so much. And I encourage you to go back to the series, um, earlier lessons, uh, especially I believe it's lesson five, where we discussed the Lamb's book of life and its importance and the names, whether they're found there or not, and what that means and how do you get your name in there. And so we covered all of that in that lesson. Tonight, I'd like to take us from the end of chapter 20 of Revelation, which is the end of the millennial reign, that final battle that occurs when people still try to reject the Lord, and then the final doom, the great white throne judgment, all of that that we covered in the last lesson. And so now we want to move into Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. So tonight we're actually going to look at what Peter calls in the book of Acts the restitution of all things, the time when everything is made new again, the time when everything is restored to its original state. So we've had the conclusion of chapter 20 of Revelation somewhere between the end of chapter 20 and the beginning of chapter 21 we find a couple of things that other scriptures tell us about that happen first of all i'd like to read second peter chapter 3 verse 10 but the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned 
up. Isaiah chapter 34, verse 4 says, All the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down, as the leaf falls from the vine, and as fruit falling from a fig tree. So we see that these prophecies are teaching us about a coming dissolution and destruction of the earth itself, the heavens, possibly even the outer space heavens, we don't know. But it's a total dissolution of the planet earth as we know it. Because this is not God's eternal home for us. So tonight, let's look at some select passages. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. Now I, this is John writing, saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So here we see the beginning of the restitution of all things, when God will make all things new, exactly what he said here. Verse 1 proves to us that the verses that we just read in Isaiah and 2 Peter have already taken place. Because he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So that was already done in between chapter 20 and chapter 21. That occurs. And God makes it all new. So let's look at a few prophetic words about this. In Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 19, 
he speaks about that and he says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. And then in chapter 66, verse 22 and 23. For as the new heaven and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. So here we have a couple of words that speak to us about the new heaven and the new earth. And lastly, Peter mentions it in 2 Peter 3. We read verse 10. But if we go on down to verse 13, he says this. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So let's spend a few moments talking about the restitution of all things. Talking about this new heaven and new earth. This is also referred to by some as the eternal state. It's the time where there's timelessness, eternity. It's an unending state for the believer. These are for the believer. It's the promised and certain end for every believer spending eternity with God. Beloved, this is the restoration of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And if you want to see a glimpse of what this will be like, then we look to Genesis 1 and 2 and the relationship that was there and the beauty that was there and the, um, and the activities that were there. This will be far greater than that this eternity, this beautiful, perfect place. But it's a restoration of all things from the very beginning. It's restoring things back to God's original intent. So Genesis 1 and 2 give us a pattern, at least to get some glimpses from. In the full description and understanding in these two chapters in Revelation 21 and 22, and I encourage you to read them on your own. It says that the heaven and the earth are new. This is that city that in Hebrews 11:10 Abraham looked for and waited for. The city, he said, whose builder and maker was God with its foundations. This word for new is Kainos, I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly because I'm not a Greek scholar, but it's a Greek word and it means recently made, unused, unworn, 
fresh, fresh of a new kind, of a brand new kind, unprecedented and uncommon. There's never been one like it before. Genesis 1 and 2 come the closest to showing us, but this is going to be brand new and fresh all over again. When it says it's a new heaven, I don't believe it's speaking of the highest heaven where God's throne is. I believe it may be, in essence, speaking about the, the heaven in terms of the sky, the atmosphere, what we know as perhaps the second heaven, we call it, the outer space and where the celestial bodies may be. Perhaps that's what it's talking about. And a brand new earth planet, a brand new planet. It will be fashioned on the order in some degree of Genesis 1 and 2. The holy city, New Jerusalem, God's eternal city, comes down from the Father in heaven like a bride in beauty and splendor. There's an official vocal declaration made by some, perhaps it's the Lord himself, the tabernacle of God is with men. Jesus foreshadowed that for us because we know in John 1, it says that he came and he tabernacled with us. He dwelt with us. He came to do life with us. And this is going to be the ultimate realization of that eternal life with him. God will literally be dwelling with us settling down, permanently living, and residing with us. <coughs> Excuse me. There was a picture of that in the Old Testament as well, through the Old Testament tabernacle of Moses. Exodus 25 verse 8 tells us that God said to Moses to build the sanctuary for one purpose, because he wanted to dwell with his people. He's always wanted to tabernacle with us. He's always wanted to live permanently with us. He's always wanted to have relationship and dwell among us. And this, Revelation 21 and 22, new heaven and new earth will be God's fulfillment of his ultimate dream. He will be satisfied, and so will we. I believe it will blow our mind, the beauties we will see the colors we will see, the activity, the, the services we will see, the worship. Oh, I, I can't even imagine that splendor as yet. We can only glean some glimpses from what we can read in the scriptures. This speaks of it being one big, great, big, happy family. Hallelujah. One big family in his house, in his city, dwelling with him. A great big happy family. Every tear will be wiped away. Every tear. Tears of sorrow, tears of anguish, tears of grief, and tears of regret. Tears from shame. There'll be none of that in heaven. For the believer, there should be none of that even here as far as shame and guilt. That's the good news of the gospel. When Jesus saves us, 
washes our sins away, he also removes the guilt and shame of it. That's what Gilgal was all about in the Old Testament, removing the reproach of Egypt. He not only removes the sin and power of Egypt, but he removes the reproach, the shame, and the guilt of it. He makes us brand new. The word where it talks about no more, death and so forth, it's an absolute negative. It will be non-existent in that day. No more death. There's no more sorrow, mourning, or grief of any kind. Think about this. In that day, nothing will ever break your heart. No one will ever deceive you. No one will ever betray you. It'll be beautiful. There'll be nothing that will make us cry. It says no more crying, no more outcry, nothing that causes us anguish and agony that causes you to just wail from the deepest part of your being. There'll be none of that. There'll be no more pain. Oh boy. Some of us, for some of us, that will be a tremendous joy to get to that place and have no more trouble, no more pain, no more starving, no more toiling. All of that is wrapped up in that word for pain. We'll have unending access and supply of the fountain of living waters, the ability to drink freely at all times. This new, descent, new Jerusalem descends from God, filled with the glory of God. It reminds me of the days of the tabernacle of Moses when there was the glory cloud that filled the most holy place. It'll be filled with the glory cloud every day, light shining, brilliance like we can't even imagine. This city we're described, is described to us as being a walled city. The walls made of pure gold to the point that they're like glass, like clear glass. Twelve gates around this city, and they each have the twelve, they have twelve angels on them, twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Their names are inscribed there, three on each of the four gates. And notice this, each gate, it says, is made of one whole pearl. That has to be some huge oyster. I would imagine that took a huge oyster made of one whole pearl. The gates are never closed. They're always open, always open access into, the, into this beautiful city. No crime, no pain, no sorrow. No fear. None of that. It will be non-existent in that day. The 12 foundations are described for us beautifully with all kinds of precious, beautiful gems. And they have the names of the 12 apostles on those. We're even given the measurement. It's a cubed measurement, three-dimensional. Length, width, and height, it says, are all the same. 15, approximately 1,500 miles in every direction, length, width, and height. It says the streets are pure gold. 
This is to the point that they are like transparent glass. They've been purified and made into pure gold like as if they were transparent glass. The worship there is of the Lord God and of the Lamb forever. I was reading in Isaiah this morning, and, and it struck me. It talks about how God will share his glory with no one. And I thought about that for a minute, and I thought, you know, in Revelation chapter 5, we're told that a search went forth. A search was made in all of heaven, in all of earth, all under the earth, and no one was found worthy except the Lamb, and he was given the scroll. No one was found worthy. God shares his glory with no one else because there is no one else worthy. There's no one else that he could rightly give it to. There is none. He has no equal and he has no rival. Praise God. There'll be no sun and moon. Jesus himself will be the only light. He came and he said I was, he was the light of the world. And then at the Mount of Transfiguration, we saw just a glimpse of that veil of his flesh being peeled back and he shone with the glory of God to the, to the three disciples that were there when Moses and Elijah joined him on that mountain. But in that day, his glory will freely shine everywhere to the point that it illuminates this entire city. There won't ever have to be a lamp or a lantern or a light anywhere. He is the light. The Bible tells us that only the people whose names are found in the Lamb's Book of Life will be there. This is God's citizenry registry. It's God's family registry. You know, years ago, when we were little, perhaps some of you, if you can remember back then, those of you that are in the category of that old, like, like me, we had big old family Bibles that used to sit on coffee tables or whatever. And in those Bibles, there was a family tree. There was a place for the genealogical record. The Lamb's Book of Life is God's genealogical record, is his family history, his family registry. And on that day, there will be a great big family that will be together forever. Family reunion. There'll be an awesome family reunion when we all get there and are there forever. I remember from childhood when I was a little girl, my granny and granddaddy, they lived in the country. And uh, sometimes we would have annual family reunions. And they'd have sheets of paneling on sawhorses and all of that with a big old spread, a banquet laid out for us. And we would enjoy family reunion time, eating together, laughing together, swinging in their little old wooden swing and, you know, playing around. And, oh, it was just a wonderful time. It's going to be a great big family reunion there. Beautiful family time together. The river of life will be flowing freely. The tree of life, open access. John describes it as having new fruit every single month. 
Now, I don't know if there'll still be some form of time in that place because it's a place of eternity where there is timelessness. Perhaps he meant some type of cyclical thing that God will have it on. It'll, there'll be some form of rotation, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe John just had no other way to describe it. But it'll have fruit, different fruits, at each time that it cycles through. There'll be no more cursed thing, nothing that is cursed, and no more curse of any kind. The throne of God will be with his people, and his people will serve him. Imagine that. In Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve had work. Even before sin entered and there was a curse upon the ground, there was work. Work is not bad. It's not evil. It fills us with delight and fulfillment. It gives us meaning and purpose. And so there'll be work there. Perhaps those of you that love gardening, maybe you'll be part of the the agricultural field of workers there. You know, maybe you'll be raising crop and growing fruit and those kinds of things. If you're a painter or an artist of some kind, who knows what kind of colors paints might be there. I don't know. Craftsmen, musicians, singers, who knows? But we will be serving the Lord there. God's name will be written in our forehead and there'll be no night there at all. Constant daytime, abundant shining of the sun, S-O-N. And we will see God's face. We will behold his beauty forever. David said in Psalm 27, one thing I've desired and that will I seek after. And that was to be in the house of the Lord, to behold his beauty. Beloved, in this day, we will be permanently in his presence face to face, beholding his beauty, his glory and his splendor, never again hidden from us. And at that time, we'll be able to handle it and we'll appreciate it. Imagine that glorious day that is ahead for us. This is the destiny for every believer in Jesus Christ. What a beautiful home we have to look forward to. So how should this affect us today? How should it shape our lives? And what does it mean to us now to study what's coming and what's ahead in our future. And that we will cover in the final lesson of this series, which I hope to do in a few more days. May God bless you tonight. And I pray this has been a blessing and a joy to your heart. May the Lord be glorified and may you be blessed in Jesus' name.